if you have your phone, turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Shasta, could I just ask for a little bit more of me in front here? So I know... One Corinthians chapter twelve, verse one. If you've been journeying with us as a church recently, you'll be knowing that God has specifically called us called us as a church into some things this year that we want to deal with. If you want to know what kind of church God is calling us to become, what is the mark of us as people, followers of Jesus? It is love. To love in three ways. To love up, to love in, and to love out. That encapsulates the, the basically all of Scripture in terms of what demands God places on our lives. And we say that if you really want to love God, the command is this. We ought to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Did you hear me say it to Chloe? I read and friends, that is the demand God makes in our lives, all of us, whole aspect of our being. Now, when we look at that, we understand how weak we are in fulfilling that because we realize that by nature, we don't love God. We don't. By nature, we are self-centered. By nature, we think about all of creation as being what's in it for me. That's how we think. And we need the Spirit to train us, to help us find Christ in his word and in our ways of living. And that is why we said in Loving Up this year, we are being called strongly by the Lord to pursue life, every detail of our lives in the Holy Spirit. And also with that characteristic of the Spirit, which is vitality, which is life in a sense of you've got a pulsating heart. You've got, a, you've got blood pulsing through your body. You're alive. That's what we want. And what we said is last week we, we crossed over a threshold because if that's what you're serious in, in other words, you love God by submitting your life to His Spirit. That's how you do it. He trains you how to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Is He's going to lead you into something. And He's going to lead you into what He is building. And the thing that He is building, and the thing that He is jealous for, is the body of Christ. We said last week that the Spirit not only gives us life at our salvation, not only fills us through these wonderful infillings of the Spirit, but He puts us into something. When you come to faith in Jesus, whether you like it or not, is He baptizes you, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. He places you, He fuses you into His body, which is known as the church. Now, you might not feel that, but it is a spiritual fact. It is a spiritual reality. And last week, we said our motivation of loving in to build this committed community is an understanding. Listen to me, guys. You need to hear this very carefully. Is the understanding that to love Christ, to love Christ, don't worry, Scar. I get louder as I go. So you might just have to uh, bear with me for a moment. Everybody else does. So to love Christ, 10 o'clock, is to love his body. You cannot say, I love and follow Jesus and have no love for his church. 
You cannot say, I love Jesus and have no compassion and concern for the thing that you are grafted into and connected to him, his body. Oh, to be committed to Christ is to be committed to his body. These are inseparable. You cannot tell me that you are committed to Jesus, just me and my Jesus doing my thing. No, no, my friend. If you're doing your thing with Jesus, you will be concerned and feel an ownership and a sense of partnership and a sense of engrafting concern for what is connected to Christ, his body. It's like me saying to Marina, I only want to get married to her head. No, no. I'm in love with all of Marina. I did a wedding yesterday. It's like the bridegroom saying, I'll only take your ear. Well, only take your nose. No, my friends, when you come to faith in Christ, whether you like your brothers or sisters or not, whether you like the fingernail or not or the nose, it is unfortunately a fact that you get grafted into this body and the mark, the mark of the increasing work of the Holy Spirit in your life is how much your heart is being enlarged for what Christ loves, his body. Show me a spiritual person and I'll show you a person who is in love with the bride of Christ because they are concerned and motivated by what Christ loves. And so remember the outpouring of the Spirit. Guys, we're not talking here. This fullness of the Spirit is being something which is just an emotion. The fruit of it is that as in Acts chapter 2.42, when this Pentecostal Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, we saw the mark on the community was this. They were devoted. They were devoted to the scripture on how to please God with their lives, but they were also devoted to the fellowship, which means each other. You want to ask yourself the question, am I growing in the Holy Spirit? I ask you the question, are you growing in love for your brothers and sisters? That's the mark. That's the mark. And I want to say to you this morning, the, the mark of resisting the Spirit, the mark of resisting the Spirit in your life and mine is an ever, no, that's the previous point, is a distance, is, is to distance oneself and neglect committed fellowship with the saints. If you purposefully do not feel any compassion or compulsion for a local expression of the body of Christ, you are grieving the Spirit. At that point, you are resisting what Christ through His Spirit has baptized you into put you into the body. And might I say to you today, this is what struck me this week, is the highest form of church discipline, the highest form of church discipline that can be leveraged according to Scripture is to remove somebody from fellowship. Do you know that? That is profound. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is saying, you've got a guy in your church that's sleeping with his father's, mother, his father's wife. And instead of reprimanding him and saying, you've got to repent, and I think he was possibly unrepentant because surely at a public meeting, which Paul says, I call the church together, I'll be with you in spirit, and in the power and lordship of Jesus, remove him. Remove him. Can I say to you today, this is not a light matter. Some of us are living in self-imposed judgment by removing ourselves from the fellowship. Isn't that crazy? And you think about Islam and the culture in the church and the culture in the Western church is one of this is, I choose the terms of my fellowship when God is actually saying the highest form of discipline is to distance yourself, is to actually be cast out of fellowship and exposed to the world. 
And I ask you today, how seriously do you understand your position in Christ? Because what I'm going to preach on today, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit, all called spiritual gifts, whichever you call, every Christian has these spiritual gifts by nature of their new birth, by nature of the Spirit being inside of you. I don't care if you frame yourself in whatever context. You can argue with God's Word. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit has imparted gifts to you. But the understanding of that is twofold. It's twofold, and it links to this understanding of you being connected to this community of Christ. Is that by having gifts, God is calling you to be a participant. Can you hear me, Tim? Is the gifts are not for you. The gifts are for me. Can I be? I'm a greedy Christian. I want all your gifts ministering into my life. Same way for me to you today. My gifts are for you. I have got to partner and participate with what God is doing. And the second is this. It's not a consumerism. There's a difference. Understanding that there is this giftedness of the Spirit to every Christian for the, the well-being of the body helps me understand that I need Howie's gift in my life. I am a recipient. I'm not sitting on my bum going, oh, that's so nice, the nice worship and whatever. No, no, that's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in, in tapping into the grace flowing through Howie into my life by nature of us being connected by the Spirit. And when Howie is offering his gifts, let me tell you, I experienced the streams of blessing flowing into my life. I it whilst he was laying hands on Tyra, whilst he was praying, I could sense the Spirit stirring. Friends, today we are talking about how does grace flow through the body? It flows through your brothers and sisters. And to think that you can access Christ in all of his fullness outside of the body, you are delusional. I'll say that as gently, and that's not very gently. But I'll put it to you as this. My friends, how far do you want to go in Christ today? You're going to meet him one day. This is not a small matter. One day you'll give an account of what you do in the flesh. How far you are propelled and how far you grow is how committed you are to this community. Because let me tell you, none of us have it all. I need my fellow brothers and sisters to speak into my life, to spur me on. And by nature, the grace flowing for eternity is experienced through Christ's church now. And so I ask you again today, how do you view your life? I'll say, because you are a Christian, you belong to me. You are not your own. You bought it a price. Because I'm a Christian, I belong to you. And the absence of this brotherly and sisterly partnership is to experience a void of experiencing the fullness of Christ. I don't want to labor too much. You get the point. But the thing is this. Why do we need to teach on these spiritual gifts? And I'm hoping today I'm just waiting your appetite. Because I'm never going to have enough time to tackle what I've got on these pages. So I've had to stop early in the eight. Lucky you. But today, I want to say, why do we need to make a fuss of this? Where are we going? And I'm quite happy if you're asking me, where are we going here? Where are the elders leading this church? What are we talking about the Holy Spirit here? Because when you talk about gifts of the Holy Spirit, some of you have very different contexts of what they look like. I might be in a white suit, and my name might start with a B. You, I don't know what you hear when you hear spiritual gifts. Some of us are really hungry because we've never experienced it before. Some of us are scarred because we've experienced the abuse of them. But might I say, regardless of your background, Paul says, we are born in Christ ignorant of these spiritual gifts. In verse 1, that I, oh, did I read the text? <laughs> 
Did I read the scripture? Yes. Oh, let's read quickly. Yay. Let's read. In verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'll just read the first verse. It says, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. What is Paul saying is this dimension of being used by God in specific ways by the Spirit does not come naturally. This church was the most gifted church, but also the craziest. And Paul says, I have to inform you. This teaching is vital. I have to show you how this works. And the problem is this, is if you are pursuing life in the Holy Spirit and you're taking this seriously, when you come under the leadership of the Spirit, He awakens gifts. He empowers gifts in your life. And the worst thing that can happen is you're saying, I want to be living for Jesus, but you're not ready for the way He wants to use you. Is there's a space because of spiritual ignorance you can miss or even suppress what God is wanting to lead you into through the fullness and the sensitivity of the Spirit in your life. And as elders, we want to make sure you are primed in every area to be a blessing, not only to the church, but the world. But the, the third thing is, is why we need to preach on the spiritual gifts is, is we want to, as eldership, give permission. We want to give permission in this church for all of the spiritual gifts to operate. Might I say, many of them are operating already. Next week, I'll explain to you what that looks like. But for us, I want to make it very clear on behalf of the eldership today, we are not dispensationalists. These are for the technical guys that, that want some answers. In other words, we don't believe that Scripture is for a future time. In terms of talking about this, it's saying now, in the fullness of what God is offering you, you can walk in it now. It's not for some sort of future dispensation. We are not Reformed cessationists, which say this was just for the apostolic age. What you see in the book of Acts, that was just for then. No, no, no. We believe that 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, Romans 12, they are all in operation right now. And the third is this, is we are not liberals, which says, how can you possibly leave the Bible? All it's saying is rubbish. It's, it's nonsense. I want to say to you, when we pick up Scripture, we want all that Scripture has on offer. Not so. I hope that's your life. I hope that your hunger is when you stand before Christ like I do one day and give an account for the works in the flesh that I have sought the fullness of the blessing that God has wanted to bring through me. Because that's what brings him glory. That's what brings him glory is how have you adjusted your life for the glory and honor of Christ in every cup of cold water, every cup of coffee hospitality team served, every cup of deaconing that you've done. God will remember. He will not be so unjust as to overlook your love for the saints. I want to be the fullness of God's blessing to you. And the last is this, I'd say. We must just be careful a little bit, sorry, on that last point of giving permission. It is possible because of being ignorant that you can quench the Spirit. Which means when God wants to come and start moving corporately or even individually in your life, because of ignorance, you can try and snuff it out. But 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Paul says, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. When you see the Spirit beginning to move, it is messy. I'll give you that. Paul says in the same scripture, we must test everything, but hold fast to what is good. As elders, we have to sift through what God is saying to us through prophetic words, through things said, and so must you. Is we are okay if this is a little bit messy, but we're going after what is good in God. And so I want to say to you today, the last reason of why we need to preach on spiritual gifts is this, is I'm hoping I'm stoking up desire for you to be used by God. 
Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Why does he talk about the higher gifts? It's because the higher gifts are the most impactful for building the church. Might I point out to you what gift is the last on the list every time? It is tongues and interpretation of tongues. Because when tongues are operating without an interpretation, what does it mean for the church? Oh, but when you start to hear, this is where God is going in prophecy. When you have words of knowledge and saying, this is what God is saying now in your life. When you start to see miracles and signs and wonders, suddenly the unbeliever in the service is saying, there is a power here that is undeniable. Christ is alive. That's when you start to see the church start to explode into the fullness of the Spirit. Into a witness of being a lampstand when the spirit, the oil, which it is caused, is burning bright in the wick. Oh, my friend, who knows what God could do in and through this church as we take up the call to be a blessing to the city. So what do I mean by these gifts of the Holy Spirit? What, is, what does this mean? What is a definition for a gift of the Spirit or a spiritual gift? Now, I want you to stay with me for a moment. I'm getting this from 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, but it says... They are manifestations, they are demonstrations of the indwelling spirit for the common good, particularly the church. They are manifestations of the already indwelling spirit for the common good, particularly the church, and are often released by the baptisms or outpourings of the spirit. Now, what do I mean by a spiritual gift? Do you know what a spiritual gift is? It's how the Spirit works best through you. That when you are walking in that particular way, the church is blessed. Isn't that wonderful? For the common good, when John is operating in it, I've picked on you so much last week, I'm sorry, man, I'll, I'll try to find another victim. But when John is operating in his gifting, the way you know it's a spiritual gift is when people experience this wonderful operating, they are blessed. And might I say to you, oh, shame, man, I'm sorry. But might I say to you today, guys, I hope that when you listen to that definition, my wife has had to live this over and over again. But I ask for your attention to the front quickly. When you have a definition of spiritual gifts where however Charmaine operates, it is a blessing of the church, there is an unlimited number of spiritual gifts. How many spiritual gifts are there? Well, how many Christians are there? It is your unique way of when you are living out your love for Jesus and the church, the church feels blessed. Blessed. That's a spiritual gift. And the glory of it is this. It's not for ourselves. And I, I, want to, I want to try and walk a tightrope here because I'm hoping to stir up desire. I'm hoping that this Christian life hasn't gotten boring for you. No, guys. There's too much to get excited about. But us just going, I'm coming to church. I'm going to sing a few songs. I'm going to go home and I'm going to live my normal life. No, 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 no. I'm hoping I'm going to stir up in you an abnormal desire to be used by God. But the fact is, who is it being used for? Is it for you, for your ego? God forbid. God forbid that in this preaching of God's word, my flesh comes through more than the Spirit of God. The wonderful, liberating thing about the, knowing the spiritual gifts is this. Is it's not about you. It's not for your glory. It's not for your fix. It's not a platform. It's to be a blessing to your brothers and sisters. It's so liberating when the focus of these gifts is on the church. 
the glory of Christ. And so I want to say one more thing about how does this connection of the gifts and the baptism of the Holy Spirit come through? And I'm trying to at each point explain this experience of the outpouring of the Spirit and its purpose in your life and mine. Now, because there's two reasons here. The one is it can be misunderstood in that this outpouring of the Spirit is just a, a, a fleshly experience for me. No, no, no. This outpouring of the Spirit, it's for the kingdom. But the second thing is this is I'm hoping as I speak about the outpouring of the Spirit is that I'm awakening desire. Desire for more of the reality of Christ poured out into your heart through the Spirit. That is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And how does it relate to spiritual gifts? Can I say, it is possible to operate in spiritual gifts before the outpouring of the Spirit. Some of us here are living testimony of that. But what I'll say is this. When you think about the Holy Spirit and this outpouring of the Spirit, what it does, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, is it sets you free. And in experiential terms, the way I explain it is this. is When you experience the outpouring of the Spirit, it shatters this boundary of how you feel God can use you. When you start to taste of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit, you start to be set free of what it means to be encountered and used by the Spirit. What do I mean by that? This baptism of the Holy Spirit opens you and me up. Why do I say that? Can I say there are two problems that we inherit by our flesh as Christians. The first is this, we are fearful. And when it comes to the things of God, particularly as Westerners, this is a big problem for us. We are hesitant about having experiences in God because we are so analytical. Now, there's no problem having an analytical mind, but the problem is this, is if you are so scared of God doing something that you can't explain in your life, there's a problem in engaging with the Holy Spirit. If you are so in control of your life that you have to have this understanding of every impulse, every experience, every feeling, you actually quench the Spirit by your own intellectual pride. And the mark of the Holy Spirit is this. He has to deal with that pride because the way He comes, you don't determine. That's the first thing. You're not in control. Secondly, you don't determine the timing. What you determine is the desire. And that's where pride comes in. How much do you need God? 10 o'clock. How much do you need the life of Jesus in your life when you are longing for more of Him and the moving of the Spirit in your life? It makes you a needy Christian. The problem with some of us is that we're not needy because we're so prideful. We're so self-sufficient. We're so able to do this in our own strength. Our expectation is linked to the flesh when God is saying, I'm, I'm linking your expectation to the Spirit. And what it does is this. is the other thing that the baptism of the Holy Spirit shatters in us is that it takes our need to control and it smashes that. In a sense, when you are experiencing the infilling power of the Spirit, you are letting God be at the helm. And so I say to you today, what it does is it sets you free for the Spirit. It sets the Spirit free in you. You start to experience the enlarging, the unusual operating of the Holy Spirit, and it sets you free in your gifts in this way. I want you to think about the baptism of the Holy Spirit like this. I want you to imagine in your mind, there is this fountain trickling. That is every Christian. Eternal life is bubbling up through the Spirit. You are not a Christian if you don't have the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit, and there's life. And it's watering. 
But the baptism of the Holy Spirit works like this. It is this surge of power, this surge of life in you, experience falling on you or coming out through you. It is the most glorious sense of God filling. And what it does is this. It changes the way the streams of blessing flow in your life. It changes the way gifting flows in these two ways. The first is this. It cuts new streams of blessing for the church in you. So before this outpouring of the Spirit, there were certain gifts that were latent in the Spirit. You're like a gold mine, and through this outpouring of the Spirit, this overflow into new spiritual territory brings new spiritual streams of blessing to the church. New gifts awakened. But what it does is the second thing is this. Existing streams become deepened and grow. So that when the church encounters a Christian who has experienced this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the force of blessing is stronger. What do I mean by that? I'll give you an example. I'll use myself. I've always been a good public speaker. I've always enjoyed the public platform. But before I experienced this outpouring, I couldn't really perform with much power. People could send, Matt Johnson has a good mouth, he's got a good brain, and he's fairly eloquent. If you give him an assignment, he will help you move from A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and he's, he's a competent speaker. After this experiencing of the outpouring of the Spirit, I suddenly felt, as I was preaching, I could start to aim for people's hearts. Where before, it was just an assessment of the mind. But when power came upon my life, this stream became wider and richer and fuller. And suddenly, I felt the impact of the power of this gift that I knew I had prior to the baptism of the Holy Spirit suddenly starting to change. People's lives starting to be touched by God. When I preached, the presence of Jesus would come into the room. How do you get that by competency? It is the mark of the Spirit on the believer powerfully cutting new giftings. You might find after the baptism of the Holy Spirit that you have new capacity to serve God. That's certainly what his purpose is. Jesus was like that. Jesus couldn't preach a sermon before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He didn't do a miracle before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When this power came and surged through Christ's life, it cut new streams of ministry for Jesus. Now, the danger of dealing with these spiritual gifts is that as a church, we can become overemphasized in this relationship to the spiritual gifts or even fascinated with the spectacular ones. Do you notice in this text of 1 Corinthians that, G, that Paul deals with spiritual gifts in chapter 12? 12! And then he starts in 1 Corinthians 13, which is all about love, and then he'll deal with 1 Corinthians 14, which is about the spiritual gifts. Do you know what is important to Paul prior to this discussion of spiritual gifts? Unity in the church. How are you relating to leadership? Is there a party spirit here? I don't like that, Elder. I don't like this one. I like that one. Let me tell you, it grieves the spirit when there's an absence of unity in the church. Paul's going, if you want more of the spirit current, you've got to deal with some heart issues. That's what I want to say to you today. If you want more of the Spirit and these spiritual gifts in your life, I ask you, don't, don't start with the gifts. I ask, where are you with Jesus? Where is your life? Where is your passion and desire? Is it focused on Him? That's where you've got to start because Paul goes on to not only divisions in the church, he deals with how is your unforgiveness towards fellow brothers and sisters. Guys, we're taking fellow brothers and sisters to the, to the world's courts 
They could not solve their disagreements within the church, and it was a failure of grace. The other thing that he discussed is, how's your marriage? Don't be so interested in the gifts of the Spirit if your relationship with your wife is not good. How is it going with the idols in your life? Is Christ primarily the one that you lay your life down for? Or are you living for the idols of money, of sex, of power, whatever that? Friends, what Paul is concerned about is a people whose hearts are set on Jesus before he starts talking about their hands serving him. You with me? And today, I don't want you to get the emphasis wrong of going, oh, we're now suddenly just going to be focusing on prophecy, healing. Let me tell you, it comes to a people who are set apart in their hearts for Jesus. That's how it works. And so I want to point out to you today, the first is overemphasis and fascination with spiritual gifts when they have their place. The second is we can think that if a person has spiritual gifts, they're a spiritual guy or girl. I'll tell you what our idolatry is here in Baptist circles and in this church is we tend to put whoever's in the pulpit on a pedestal. You might think we don't prize spiritual gifts here as Baptists. Let me tell you, there's one idolatry, there's one idol in a Baptist church. It is the preacher. We glory in one gift, and we think the, the, the better that guy preaches, the more spiritual he is. Not so? The more power that comes to that man's gift, the more favor he has from God. That's what we believe. Can I say to you today, 10 o'clock, the mark of a man or woman who is spiritual is not their giftedness. Do you know what the, the Bible calls the spiritual gifts? Charismata, which is grace gifts. Do you know what grace means? It's a scandal if God gives it to you. That's what it is. So when Peter came to faith in Jesus and he got given certain gifts by nature of the Spirit, it wasn't how good Peter is. It wasn't how wonderful he is. It was because the Spirit grafted Peter into the body and told Peter, I'm giving you good gifts to serve the body, that he got the gifts. doesn't mean Peter's spiritual. Let me zone it in a little bit more to our church here. How do you know whether I'm a spiritual man? How do you know whether Howie is a spiritual man? It comes down to this. The mark of a man or woman, this is important, I need you to listen to me. Shame. Would one of the hospitality members just show them the mother's room? Shame, I know what it's like. I've been there, done that twice. Chloe, do you want to go with? There we go. You can hear the sermon in there, so don't worry, you won't miss out. So I want to point you to this. How do you know? How do you know whether the man or woman taking this pulpit or in leadership is a spiritual person? How do you know they're walking with God? How do you know there's integrity before God in the way that their unseen life is being lived out, not their seen life? The mark of the leadership of the Spirit on the man or woman's life is the fruit of the Spirit. If you see a decline... In my love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. There is a serious problem. What am I like off the stage? That's what matters. Not what I'm like on the stage. 
And the mark, the mark of you growing in the Spirit is the fruit of what is coming out of your life, my friends. It is not the mark of how much you've mastered the knowledge of the Bible. It's not the mark of how much you've, you've mastered a talent. It's not even how many hours you're putting into church. The mark of the Spirit of a man or woman who is pursuing God, who has integrity before the Father, is the one who is demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit. If that is not what is oozing out of me, there's a problem. If that is not what is oozing out of you, it's a problem. And I'm going to end with this. I've got so much to say. I've got some more to say. I'll end with this so we can have and enjoy the blessing of communion. Can I say the last danger of dealing with the spiritual gifts is this? Is they can be counterfeited. Do you know that? They can be counterfeited. I can stand up here and be a gifted speaker but have zero of the Spirit. Isn't Hitler a proof of that? That he can so mobilize a nation around hatred for an ethnic group that those who know it's wrong can be silent and those who know it's wrong but they're still going to do it can have permission to do it. Can I say to you, every miracle can be counterfeited. Every gift of the Spirit can be inauthentic. And might I say today, some of us bear scars here because of the inauthentic use of the gifts of the Spirit. I bear more scars than most of you. You have been slapped, pushed, spat on, breathed on, made to feel inferior because you don't have a specific gift or that you haven't received the Spirit because you haven't had a certain experience. Let me tell you, the scars around the Holy Spirit and the ministry and abuse of this member of the Godhead and the inauthenticity of the Spirit's moving has had severe impacts on many of us here. So then, why does Paul take such a long time to deal and get to the exciting stuff of prophecy and healing? Well, I'll read here today. He says in verse 2, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, guys, let me just give you a warning here. You were pagans before you came to Jesus. You were attendants of all these glorious temples in Corinth. And was the worship much different? Let me tell you, in those pagan temples, they could have ecstatic experiences of worship. So much excitement. They'd work themselves up into a frenzy. They'd have musicians. They'd have all these kinds of feasts and festivals that people would get carried away by the excitement. He said, is that spiritual? Is a church spiritual because their service is just so over-the-top excitement? Does that a mark of the Spirit? Was it a mark in the pagan temple? Or how about this? He said, don't you know that in the pagan temple, they could speak in ecstatic tongues? Suddenly, they'll be so gripped by this emotionism, even the demonic, they could speak in these tongues. And if you know your Greek, your Greek history, there's the Oracle of Delphi, right? You can even have these prophetic words by the demonic. You can even have these oracles. Is there any proof in any of these signs that it is the Spirit? He talks about being led. Just because you feel led doesn't mean it's the Spirit. You felt led by the demonic when you were in the temple. Even though there was this mute idol, there was something happening there that was spiritual. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. How do you know it's the Holy Spirit? How do you know it's authentic? How do you know it's not counterfeits? Simply feeling led to do something is not necessarily God. The mark of the Spirit, my friend, manifesting Himself, 
is to do what is impossible by the flesh. It is impossible. Paul says, there's only one spirit that enables you. He says, use the word able to say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. God. It is the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you have been good Sunday school kids. You can say with your mouth, oh, Jesus is Lord. I asked you, can you say with your hearts? He is God. He's God. Every word that he says in Scripture, it is God speaking. Is that the ownership he has of your life? Every aspect that he demonstrated of his character, it is God's character. Every demand he makes on your life, it is God speaking. It is God saying, I am coming to you through my son. We are equal, co-divine. He is God. I'll tell you what the hardest thing is. The hardest thing is, for a person, we have them in our services. It's a wonderful thing. You are most welcome if you're here, but I want to tell you what your problem is. It is not the fact that you can come and be a part of the worship. In actual fact, we're really nice people. We serve great coffee. We do wonderful things together. We are a quite a nice community, hopefully. And I'll tell you what the problem is. And when you probe deep enough, and someone said to me frankly, frankly to me the other day, he attends every Sunday, he says, I don't believe Jesus is God. My friend, if you cannot say Jesus is God, he is Lord, then you don't have the Spirit. If you cannot say with your heart, you confess with your mouth, but you've got to believe in your heart, Romans 10 verse 9, that he was risen from the dead, you cannot be saved. How do you know it's the mark of the Spirit at work? How do you know you're a Christian? Can you say with your mouth and with your heart, Jesus is Lord? He's God. He has no equal. He's not a good teacher. He's not a good guy that did good works. He's God. Can you say that? Can you live in that reality? My friend, if you cannot live in that reality, you're not yet saved. It is the Spirit. The only spirit, every other spirit that's demonic hates Jesus. There's only one spirit in the whole of creation that says to you, you can say, that enables us in your life, that Jesus is God. It's the spirit. And what is the mark of the spirit working through these gifts? It is this in your life. If a spiritual gift is flowing towards you or through you, you are building that person up in the love of Christ. They are prizing Jesus. They're saying, do you want to know? I want to tell you a quick story. It's very important. I'm taking my time in. I know. Just be gracious to me. A friend of mine came to me last week and said, you know what? He was asked by a friend um, where they should study because they're now wanting to study at a church institution. They, they were invited by this, this church. The guy didn't know the church. So he goes online. He goes on the website and says, what does this church believe? This church was saying, we believe in the blessing of God. We believe in the outpouring of the Spirit, that you can be all you can be in, in God. And we want to see you experience the abundant life. You get the message? He said not once, not once was Christ mentioned anywhere. Not once was there the cross where there was atonement, where it says we have fallen in sin. We need the blood of Jesus to cleanse us and forgive us from our sinfulness. And we need to have faith in him so that we might experience eternal life. There was no Christ anywhere on the page. Do you want to know if that is a counterfeit spirit or not? I'm going to do this before God. That is a counterfeit spirit. When the man's flesh or the woman's flesh, because they want a little bit of a well done, comes through, they're not really pointing to Christ, they're pointing to them. There is a problem. But if a ministry of a gift makes you savor and love Jesus, that in your heart you are propelled towards him as the person you love, 
and you want to live for, that is the Spirit, my friend. If in this pulpit, in this church, after a year, you have no greater love for Jesus, I failed you. I failed you. The mark of the Spirit in this pulpit is He's drawing you to Christ. He's saying He owns you by His blood. He has rights to your body. He has rights to your mouth. He has rights to your heart. And everything that you are has been covered by Him. And to be confronted by a gift is to be confronted by Christ. So much so that when a Christian is operating in the fullness of the Spirit, you can even sense the fragrance of Jesus. I ask you today again, my brothers and sisters, how do you know you have the Spirit? How do you know if the Spirit is operating in the church? Is that person and that community prize one thing? His name is Jesus. I hope if you came as a visitor today, that there was one person's name that came through right from the start of the prayer, right from the music, right from what we are doing as baptism, dedication, as we're going to do with communion right now, is that there is one person this church prizes. There is one person the Spirit is driving us to. His name is Christ. The mark of the Spirit, my friend, in your life is to live for Him as if He is Lord. He is Lord. Is to love Him as Lord, to live for Him as Lord, to worship Him as Lord. Praise God. Our greatest prayer is if you leave this place, what you taste is Christ. I don't mind if you are uncomfortable because sometimes in life, Christ has to come and grip our hearts in certain ways. What I'm asking is the outworking of this. Have you been confronted with Jesus that when you leave this place, you have a sense of what the call on your life is? This is not fun and games where we just kind of waltz through life and hope that we make something of it in the eternal um, afterlife. Let me tell you now, the reality is this. All that you have done for Jesus in the flesh will be remembered forever. And what you have done with Jesus in your life is the greatest thing that you have to ask yourself. No, my friends, we must raise up our eyes to heaven. The mark of the Spirit is a savoring of Christ. That's it. The mark of the Spirit is a longing for more of Jesus. Now, I've got a lot more to say. But I want to remind you, as we move into this communion, and as we unpack the next few weeks, why does Jesus make us do communion? Because there is one person we are to glory in. He is unchanging. He is sufficient for all time and all people. But what he calls us to this morning is to say, as you take this cup, as you eat this bread, can you say by the Spirit, he is God. He's not just the Lord. He is my Lord. My life has been bought by what is symboled here, his body and his blood. I own nothing of myself anymore. In actual fact, I have been grafted into what I eat and drink, the body. Praise God. And all of the privileges, all of the privileges of being able to taste this today is that God is saying, as this touches your lips, let it touch your heart. 
This is what you live off. This is what you love. This is what you long for. It is Christ and Christ alone. Anybody here despairing? I want to point you to Jesus. He is enough for you. Anybody trapped in sin? He has conquered sin. Anybody here lacking with a sense of zeal and longing for Christ's body? Why don't you come and eat this morning and say, Oh, I'm a part of what I'm tasting today by faith. These are my brothers and sisters by faith. This is what I live for and long for, is to experience and glorify Christ together and to, to take this mission forward together. This is what I'm tasting. This is what my life is built on. And I want to say it one more time. If you cannot say Jesus is God, this is not for you. If you cannot say in your heart he is Lord, don't take the cup or the bread yet. You need to be helped. And I want to encourage you to come after the service. But this is the one. This is for the one who by the Spirit says, Jesus is Lord. Please don't take the cup until you can say that. We will respect you all the more for it. And there's one more thing I just want to say. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about the Lord's Supper. If there's anybody here that's unforgiveness towards another Christian or another person, this is the evidence of how God wants you to forgive. Christ gave up his body and blood that you might have forgiveness. Christ wants you to demonstrate the same. And so if that is you this morning, make right in your heart before God and then go make right with your brother and sister. As far as possible, Paul says, as far as possible, be at peace with all men. And so if you need to go, you are welcome to go. I've spent a lot more time than usual. But if you want to stay and take this moment to savor Christ, come stay with your brothers and sisters. Let's enjoy him. Let's serve it now. I'm going to ask us just to be quiet before the Lord. Those of you who are serving, you can come forward. And let's take this time. Let's take this time to savor Jesus. ask you just to hold into the cup and the bread and as you do so I want you to feel it in your hands and I want you to hold it in your heart in a sense just wrap around your heart wrap your heart around this blessed gift the symbol of Christ's body and blood this love of the Father for you there's glory in it this morning
Father, it is a joy this morning to come before you through Christ, to say by the Spirit, He is Lord. He is Lord. And forever we will proclaim it as a community of Christians. Forever we will join with the church universal throughout eternity proclaiming Christ is Lord. God, we need help as we do that this morning. We need fresh grace from heaven this morning to have our hearts awakened to the call to live for Jesus, to be nourished by Him, to be nestled under His care, to be sustained by the Son of God. And so, God, as we eat and we drink today, Lord, I pray you would give us fresh strength to serve you, Lord, in your fullness. You as our head, Jesus, and the church as your body. As we taste of this, Lord, I pray the privilege of being a part of the body of Christ would just well up in our hearts. And fresh love and tenderness and concern for her well-being would beat in our hearts. We love you, Jesus. We're so thankful for this cup and this bread. Give us a sense of you today. Let's eat and drink together. Father, I pray that as we leave this place, that the taste of what this is symbolized in the bread and the cup would linger in our hearts. That God, as we go from this place, you, Jesus, would be the prize most precious position, the goal, Lord, as we leave, we ask this in your precious and wonderful name. Amen.